Welcome to the Dollars and Cents Radio Show with your host, accountant and author Carol Topp, the homeschool CPA. Carol takes confusing topics such as money and business and puts them into clear English. She's ready to share her knowledge with you on today's show. Well, hello everyone. This is Carol Topp from homeschoolcpa.com. I hope you have been finding the previous podcast episodes about converting from a business to a nonprofit organization helpful. In um, the first of this three-part series, I discussed the basics of converting your for-profit business to a nonprofit organization, talking about a board and bylaws. And then in the second part, I discussed forming a nonprofit corporation, how you need to be organized and operate, and then file paperwork called the Articles of Incorporation with your state. So you can find those over at homeschoolcpa.com slash podcast. You'll see they're all part of this three-part series about converting a business to a nonprofit. So here in the last and the third part of this series, I am going to talk about the application for 501c3 tax exempt status with the IRS. Now I discussed briefly in episode or the second part that just being a nonprofit corporation in your state does not automatically grant you tax exempt status with the IRS. That's another application process you need to go through. So many, probably 99% of nonprofit organizations uh, seek and are eligible for tax-exempt status with the IRS. And there are about 20 different kinds of tax-exempt statuses, 501Cs as they're called. But the one we probably will focus on and we will focus on today is 501C3 status. 80% of tax-exempt organizations are 501Cs. And that's because they have a purpose that's kind of limited, but it's uh, either a charitable purpose, a religious purpose, educational purpose, and then a few more like literary, scientific research, and uh, international athletics, things like that. We're going to focus on the biggies, which is an organization that has an educational purpose, therefore is eligible to be a 501C Three, And the advantages of filing, applying, requesting 501c3 status from the IRS is that you are tax exempt, meaning any surplus, any quote profit you might have is now not taxed by the IRS. So your organization gets to keep it for its educational purposes. Yay. But also 501c3s as opposed to all the other types of 501c's, there are C2s fours and sixes and sevens. Um, 501c3 organizations, because they have a, a, a charitable, educational, religious purpose, can accept tax-deductible donations. So we like that. Your homeschool organization can accept donations um, and the donors can uh, deduct that on their tax return. Those are great advantages. There, there are a few more and I cover it in my book, The IRS and Your Homeschool Organization, which you can find over at Homeschool CPA. This is not a podcast about the advantages. Uh, this is going to be a podcast more about the application process. Uh, and that is one of the biggest detractors of uh, applying for 501c3 is just the application process. It's uh, a lot of paperwork. It's a lot of preparation before the paperwork, which is kind of what I talked about in the previous uh, podcast episode. There are fees involved, IRS fees involved. Uh, You probably need to hire professional help. So uh, like a CPA or some people hire attorneys. 
And so that gets expensive, right? And then the whole application process can take a long time. It can take many months to get your paperwork in order. It can take many more months for the IRS to process it. So this is not fast. And finally, one of the biggest disadvantages to 501c3 status uh, is also there are restrictions put on 501c3s by the IRS because of, you know, the fact that you are tax exempt and you can accept those tax exempt donations. There are some restrictions about what activities you basically have to stick to your purpose, what your stated purpose was. Uh, when you formed, what you said you were going to do in your articles of incorporation. You also have to um, be careful that you don't share, or the word the IRS uses is in your, which is to benefit insiders. That would be board members, large donors, staff, things like that. So there are definitely restrictions. And some of that I touched on a little bit when I in uh, the previous episode, the first part where I talked about the basics of forming a board, no conflict of interest and things like that. Okay. But what I really want to talk about in this podcast is, for those of you converting a business to a nonprofit, you've formed the nonprofit as a nonprofit corporation, now you want 501c3 tax-exempt status as well. All right. Well, there are two different forms you could possibly file uh, to apply for tax-exempt status. I'll tell you about one. Uh, Both of them are called Form 1023. There's a short one called the 1023EZ. The IRS just introduced that in 2014, so it's a fairly new form. It is for smaller organizations with annual revenues of less than $50,000 a year or assets of less than $250,000. Um, the other form is called the 1023. That's the original form that everybody before 2014 had to use. It is for organizations whose annual gross revenues might be more than $50,000 or in some other way are not eligible to file the short 1023-EZ. All right. The IRS has an eligibility checklist with approximately, I think it's about 30 questions right now, to see if your organization is eligible to file the short form. And you can find this eligibility checklist at the IRS website, irs.gov. Do a Google search on uh, 1023EZ, the instructions. And in there, you'll find these 30 questions. If you answer yes to any of the 30 questions, you are ineligible to use the short application form, you must use the long one, the 1023. And for our purposes here, there's one question you really need to pay attention to. It's question number nine. And the IRS asks on the eligibility checklist to use the short application form, the 1023EZ, this question. Are you a successor to a for-profit entity? Well, since we're talking about converting your business to a nonprofit, chances are you are a successor to a for-profit entity. You would answer the question, yes, and the IRS says, oops, sorry, you answer any of these eligibility questions, yes, you can't use the short 1023 easy form. You have to use the long form, the 1023. Let me tell you that the IRS and this eligibility checklist does flesh out a little bit about what does it mean to be a successor to a for-profit entity. So I will read to you from the IRS eligibility checklist. How about that? And they say, you are a successor if you have, and then they have three conditions, and they ha- they're an or condition, meaning any of these three, if they're true, then you are uh, a successor to a for-profit entity, and you must file the long form. 
All right, here's the first condition. You are a successor if you have substantially taken over all of the assets or activities of a for-profit entity. Two, been converted or merged from a for-profit entity. Or three, installed the same officers, directors, or trustees as a for-profit entity that no longer exists. So if you keep in all the same leaders, directors, things like that, then you are a successor to that business and now you want tax-exempt status and the IRS says, well, fine, they will give you tax-exempt status. You just got to use the long form. The first one, substantially taken over all the assets or the activities of a for-profit entity, that probably means if uh, you're doing the same activities that you used to do, you just now want tax-exempt status for doing the same thing that you've always done, then fine. Again, the IRS would say, fine, we'll give you tax-exempt status. You're just going to have a longer application. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about um, the application process and this Form 1023. Now, before I get into that, I do want to say I will be doing a webinar in June, the date, June 2019. The date is yet to be determined. Uh, but I will post it over at homeschoolcpa.com. And if you're on my email list, you'll get an email about it. And in this webinar, I'm going to go into great depth on both the uh, short form, the 1023EZ. That would be if you're a brand new nonprofit, you're not really converting from a business. You know, you're, 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 you're closing the business. You're starting brand new, fresh. The activities don't look the same. Brand new families involved. Brand new board members. Probably a different name. Okay, you're walking away from the old one, starting new. But I'm gonna, I'll talk about that form, that 1023 easy form, briefly in this webinar, and enough that you could probably prepare it yourself at the end of this webinar. But I will also spend um, a little more time talking about the 1023, the long form itself. That form you will probably not be able to uh, file yourself. You will probably need professional help because here's what this form is like. This is the this is probably the worst IRS form you're ever going to face. And people will tell me who do corporate income tax that this tax exempt application form is the worst thing they've ever seen. I call it the beast. <laughs> it's approximately 26 pages long. And then it has different schedules about, a, ooh, I think, a choice of about 10 different schedules, you know, add-ons, more paperwork. Uh, you must answer a lot of questions and you may not even know what the IRS means by these questions. Therefore, you have to go do research. Uh, do I answer this question yes or no? And uh, many times the IRS say, if you answered yes, explain it. So although the IRS form is maybe 26 pages, your whole application will be longer than that because there's so many things you have to explain to the IRS as you answer their questions. You must include financial statements. That's why you probably need some professional help, usually CPAs, uh, to prepare that financial statement, which is income and expenses, and then a balance sheet, which is your assets and your liabilities, what you own and owe people. The IRS will want to see your articles of incorporation that you filed with the state. They'll want to see your bylaws, and they will read them. They request a listing of your board members, a bit of a biography on each of them, meaning what are their qualifications to be on your board. And, and the longest and most important part of this application form, the 1023, the application for 501c3 tax-exempt status, is the narrative. The narrative is where you explain to the IRS who you are, what you do, how you're organized, what your activities are, why you want tax-exempt status. And since you are converting from a for-profit business to a non-profit, 
basically they want to know, well, first of all, there'll be an additional schedule you have to fill out. You have to (laughs) say who the previous owner was, but basically they want to know why the IRS should grant you tax exempt status now when you're doing the same activities that you did before when you were a tax paying business. You have to basically justify why you are eligible to have tax exempt status. You see, the IRS would rather have you paying taxes. <laughs> They'd rather have you being a business owner and, and not uh, grant you tax exempt status. So you're going to have to explain why you think you deserve it now. And that's where um, professional experience will be very helpful. I have helped about three homeschool organizations that formed as for-profit businesses convert to tax-exempt status. And we were able to successfully explain to the IRS how they operated with a board from the very beginning. They they operated much like a nonprofit organization. As a matter of fact, um, I think two of the three never even had a profit, which, of course, makes it easier to explain that to the IRS. <laughs> You're not making any money off of this uh, homeschool organization, IRS. But when they had already been operating, like if they just hadn't organized like uh, a nonprofit organization, it made the um, explanation of that much easier. Uh, you may you may have some more difficulty with that. So if you like, if you attend the webinar that I will do, like I said, in June of 2019, and there will be a recording of it. So if you listen to this after uh, June of 2019, don't worry. It's always available on my website. It will be at homeschoolcpa.com under the slash webinars. There's a page of webinars I offer. And you can watch the recording at any time. Uh, I will share with you some professionals besides myself since I'm not doing 1023s very often anymore. I will only do them rarely. Professionals who can help you do this. This is a, this is like what they do, okay? They, they help organizations apply for tax exempt status using the long application form. And I will share that information in the webinar for you. So uh, I hope you're not daunted by IRS forms because that's what it takes to get tax exempt status. There's a whole lot of information on my website about 501c3 status, but I have a book that I think you'll benefit from greatly. It's called The IRS and Your Homeschool Organization, subtitled 501c3 Tax Exempt Application for Homeschool Organizations. It's written specifically for homeschool groups. So if you are considering getting 501c3 status, read that book. It will give you great understanding so you will understand the process, the paperwork that needs to get done, and things like that. So I hope this podcast has been helpful. I hope to, to uh, see you either at the webinar if you get this in enough time, if you're listening to this early enough. And uh, I, I wish you great success as you convert to a nonprofit. Do it correctly and uh, you will bless many homeschool families. Thank you for joining the Dollars and Cents Radio Show with Carol Topp here at the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. For more helpful information, visit Carol at her website, homeschoolcpa.com.